Hey, Common Ground, as well as any guests joining us from around the city of Cape Town, all the world, wherever you are, it's so good to be able to meet together and to be doing the same thing really at the same time. Today is a very, very special day for us as a church and for the church in general all around the world. Today is the day of Pentecost, which is the Sunday that we remember the day when the Holy Spirit was first poured out on the first local church. It was the day in which the church was in a sense commissioned. It's the day in which the church was empowered and kind of birthed and sent out into the world. It's that day that we remember today. And it's that day that we're gonna see kind of the way in which it was initiated by Jesus way in advance. Jesus birthed something that then grew while he was on earth and then kind of waited after the resurrection for him and then Boom, came the day of Pentecost as that community that was birthed there, raised in Jesus, then received the Spirit and was empowered to become something altogether new and different, something the world had not yet seen. And, uh, and today we're gonna be looking at what that means for your life and for my life. In fact, I'm trusting that as we look at this, you and I are gonna discover today a meaning and a purpose that is so deep, that is so profound, and that is not found anywhere else in all the world. It's a perfect time to be looking at meaning and purpose, isn't it? It's, it's Corona 2020. And for so many of us, we're reevaluating our lives. It's a, bit like, it's a bit like a half time that we never knew was coming, that we get to just stop and reflect and to, to pause and to give thought to who we are, to who we're becoming and to where we find our meaning and our purpose. And so this text today is gonna help us to do just that. Let me give you a quick roadmap as to what our message is gonna look like. Uh, there's gonna be a few parts. We're gonna look first at the key verse and the big idea in our text. And then we're gonna look at three groups of people in the text who miss the big idea, who miss this thing that Jesus is doing in the world. And then we're gonna land by asking the two questions that are so important for us. Why is this so difficult to do in our lives and how are we gonna do this? And so big idea, key verse, three people who miss it and why is this so hard and how are we gonna do this together in our lives? Are you ready? Let's dive in together to the big idea of today's text. Here's our big idea for the day. Jesus is beginning a new community with a new culture. Do you see those two things in the big idea? Jesus is beginning a new community with an entirely new culture. Let's have a look at how we see this in our key verse, in verse 34 and verse 35. And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, here are my mother and brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. Here we see these two big points of our big idea here, that on the one hand, Jesus says, here are my mother and my sister and my brothers. This group I'm forming is a family. It's a community, but this community is not just a group of people together. They're a family. And then the second thing is, but, but they, are, they do the will of God. It's a family with a culture. There's a code. There's a way in which they live in the world, which is an identifying characteristic of this family. Last week, Kyle spoke so well about when Jesus called the disciples to himself. Remember, he invited these 12 men to come and follow him. And in that message, Kyle alluded to how Jesus was inviting them to come and be with Jesus, to become like Jesus, and to learn to do as Jesus did. It's an invitation to be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and learn to live as Jesus lived in our world today. But today what Mark is doing is he's developing uh, that picture of what Jesus is doing further. He's pulling back the curtain, if you will, so we can see more of what Christ is doing. 
You see, Jesus is not just inviting 12 people to come and follow him as individuals, but Jesus is birthing a community. It's a community of followership. Uh, Stop and think about it. It's not the same thing. He wasn't calling 12 individuals on their own spiritual kind of private faith journeys to become like him as much as he's forming them into a family. And it's in this community that their lives would be shaped and formed. You see, we don't just become like Jesus by following Jesus privately. We become like Christ in the community of people becoming like Christ. It's that it's following, it's Jesus himself doesn't just transforms us, transform us, sorry, but Jesus transforms us in a family. And this is a radically important point for us as a church. In fact, it's a profound picture for us as a church of a family who is learning to live in a new culture. I love this. It speaks to who we are as common grounders. Think about it for a second. We were strangers, all of us. None of us maybe knew each other. Uh, Strangers all over the city of Cape Town, all over South Africa, maybe even some of us all over the globe scattered. And then through Jesus' death on the cross, we were reconciled to God. And we were reconciled to one another. And then we were brought together, not just into an individual discipleship track, but into a family of people who are learning now. Remember, it's Pentecost, empowered by the Holy Spirit to go out into the city of Cape Town and fill the city with the message, life and fame of Jesus. It's a family who are learning to follow Christ and live in His his ways and to do as Jesus did in the city of Cape Town. I don't know about you, but that excites me. It's the kind of image that's not, it's not abstract and mystical out there, but it's the kind of thing that I can, I can sink my teeth into. I wanna become part of a family, a church that's a family who is learning to follow Jesus and live in his ways in the world, a family with a culture. The truth is though, as we look at this text, we read together that not everyone in the text felt that way. In fact, there were three groups of people we're gonna look at now who opted out of this family of Jesus. Let's look together at the crowd, the cronies, and the scribes. I know that's a cheat of alliteration, the crowd, the cronies, and the scribes. But let's see how they, each of them, opt out of this family that Jesus is birthing. Let's look at the crowds together as we read verse 20. And then he, this is obviously Jesus, and then he went home and the crowds gathered again so that they could not even eat. And so Jesus, again, draws together this crowd. I don't wanna talk too much to this because Kyle did so well in speaking to the crowd last week, but for Mark, it's a recurring group of people we see. And so what can I say to those of us who are in the crowd? Well, the first thing I'll say is is this, all of us start out in the crowd. At, at some point, we all start out in the crowd, but here's the key if you're in the crowd. Maybe today you're in the crowd and you're trying to work out who Jesus is and what Jesus means for your life. There's a few things we can do and, and, and a trap to avoid. Here's the two things I wanna encourage us in. Firstly, the, the first danger of the crowd is that we stall or we settle. We, we stop moving forward in our journey towards Jesus. We stop asking questions. We stop pressing in and we kind of stall. And, it, and it's at that point that you can, you can kind of You never quite become a follower, but you settle for being a fan. And so my first encouragement to you, if you're in the the crowd, is to keep taking steps forward, little by little. Keep asking questions, keep pressing in, keep asking of Jesus, Jesus, who are you? What did you come to do in the world? And what does it mean for my life? You stay hungry and you keep pressing forward. But the second danger in the crowd that we see is so relevant in this text is that 
you stop listening to Jesus, you take your eyes off of Jesus and you start to listen to what other people say of Jesus. Today, if you were in the crowd there, as the scribes started, started describing who they thought Jesus was, and if you took your eyes off of Jesus and you placed them on the scribes, it's so easy to see how you could have missed the wonder and the, and the beauty and the truth of who Jesus is. And so simply put, if you're in the crowd, here's my encouragement to you. Don't listen to what everyone else is saying about Jesus. You press into Jesus himself. Let Jesus describe for you and show you who he is. Come humbly, come hungry, and keep taking little steps forward in your journey towards Jesus. And pretty soon, I'm, I'm sure, he's gonna reveal himself to you personally. And you'll be able to make that transition from the crowd into the community. There's some others in the, in, the, in the story today, the passage we read, who, who opt out of who Jesus is in this new, what Jesus is doing in this new community. And that's the cronies. The cronies are simply Jesus' own crew, the people that Jesus runs with, the people who are closest to him. In verse 21 and verse 31, we can read together here. This is where we see the cronies. And, and when his family, do you see them? They're the cronies. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him. Such a strong word, to seize Jesus. For they were saying, he's out of his mind. Again, strong language in this text we're reading here. And then verse 31, and his mother and his brothers came, standing outside, they sent to him and they called him. Here we see the cronies. Verse 21, such a strong word. The cronies have come to seize Jesus. I mean, literally, they think that he's going crazy and they're coming to physically take him and pull him away from what he's doing. You can imagine behind the scenes, they probably held a family meeting and they, 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 they met together and they spoke, they spoke together and they said something like, what is happening to our brother? He's losing his mind. What are we gonna do? We've got to do something. Let's, let's launch an intervention. I mean, hindsight is, you can look back in hindsight, it's quite humorous, but actually you've got to imagine what it was like for Jesus himself. This is a public intervention. Uh, this is his family, those who were closest to him. And they publicly come to him and they try and move him from where he is to where they want him to be. You've got to imagine the, the personal levels of rejection that Jesus is dealing with in this moment. And I think it's just helpful, especially at this time of corona, when so many of us have lost jobs. Maybe you, maybe you were the one who was retrenched and others, uh, others got to stay on in the company. Or, or maybe you've experienced rejection in relationship during this time. It's helpful to know that Christ was not some distant and aloof God off there in the clouds who doesn't understand what it is to face these things we go through. But he gets what, what it is we're going through and you can come to Jesus. Jesus models for us in this moment how he has the presence of mind in the midst of this rejection to stay the course his cronies are missing him. You see, they're missing him because they've got their own idea of who Jesus should be and what Jesus should be doing. And they're trying to move Jesus from where he is to where they want him to be. Mark is showing us in this text, really it's a startling truth, that as familiar as they are with Jesus, they're missing this community that Jesus is birthing. There's familiarity for these guys, but there's no real followership. And Jesus is beginning a kingdom where followership is key in this family. You see, they had familiarity, they had proximity, they even had relationship. They had plenty of history. I mean, they literally grew up in the prototypical Christian home. 
Christ was literally present in the home with them. They were that familiar. And yet startlingly, as we see in this text, they miss out on what Jesus is doing. You see, Jesus is now doing a new thing and they're looking back to the past and they get left behind. They couldn't transition from familiarity to followership and they miss out on this new family and community that Jesus is birthing. Mark is saying to us, familiarity is not enough. Familiarity is not enough. I wonder if that's you. I wonder if your relationship and the the nature of the way in which you relate to Jesus is based on history, is based on past, is based on familiarity. And and you realize at this time, as we were all kind of evaluating life, that actually you haven't transitioned into followership, the active participation in what Jesus is doing now. And you're bringing your life to him to say, Jesus, coach me, shape me. I wanna learn to live in your ways in this moment. This is a perfect opportunity to make your way back. I'd love to speak to someone who who was stuck in familiarity and then moved to followership, who's hidden in this text, I think. One of the most powerful things about this text is its brutal honesty. I mean, if you were a bunch of hoax makers getting together to collaborate and to create a fictional uh, story about a a, a mythical savior, right? Uh, As many have suggested that Christianity is, these are the very kind of bits that you would leave out. Right, these are the, the parts of the story. I mean, a public intervention by your own family. These are the momentum stoppers you would clearly leave out. But the truth is, they don't leave them out. They're here. What, what that says to us is we are reading in Mark the unedited version of Jesus' life. All the Instagram filters have been taken off. And this is the raw truth of how it unraveled in history. Bear with me for a, a second here. A lot of people have claimed to be God. Not many of their mothers and sisters and brothers have joined their following in their cult though. And the simple reason as to why not is because, well, familiarity exposes uh, the, the lack of godness of their lives. They simply know too much, right? History tells us though that decades later at the Jerusalem Council by Acts chapter 15, the head of the largest, the first church in the world is in fact Jesus' own brother, James. That probably James was sitting in this family intervention moment here. And and we don't know when, we don't know why, uh, at some point from then, maybe it was after Jesus' crucifixion, maybe it was when he, maybe he saw the resurrected Jesus and that won him over. Maybe it was the transformed lives of these other followers in the family who eventually won the heart of James and Jesus' own brother who was stuck today in familiarity crosses the line and he becomes, Becomes a follower of Jesus. If, if that's you and you're in that camp, this should fill you with great confidence because if James can make that transition, so can you. There's one last group who miss out on what Jesus is doing and that's the scribes. Let's look together at verse 22 and verse 23. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, he is possessed by Beelzebul and by the prince of demons, he casts out the demons. And he called them to him and said to them in parables, how can Satan cast out Satan? Now they're speaking about Satan here and they they really, they're calling Jesus evil. They're saying that Jesus is doing these powerful works, but it's because he's in cahoots with the devil and that's where his power comes from. I mean, this is a massive accusation and it's coming from a very credible source too. Although it's completely unfair, 
and completely unfounded, yet Jesus has to respond. And so let's look at how Jesus responds. In verse 24, he says, if a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. He's using logic and reason here. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but is coming to an end. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man and then indeed he may plunder the house. Jesus is pointing out the ridiculousness of their claim. Clearly his works are good and are, are going against what the devil would wanna be doing in the world. Why would Christ uh, be doing those things if he was on his team? He'd be undermining his own cause. Uh, what I love about this accusation of the scribes though is do you notice what they accuse him of? They don't accuse him of, they don't deny his miracles. Rather they, they dispute the source of the power by which he's doing these miracles. For them, it's clear that Jesus is doing something extraordinary. Jesus' enemies don't deny his miracles. Rather, they question the source of the power. Who were these guys questioning him? They were the scribes. They were the learned theologians of the day. And in unbelief, they look at Jesus' miraculous works and they call him demon-possessed. In spite of the incredible proof before them, why would they do that? I mean, how is it possible to do that? Well, what they're doing is they, they're looking at what Jesus is doing and they cannot reconcile who Jesus is with their worldview and their view of God. And because they cannot reconcile this new thing that Jesus is doing with their view of God, they reject Jesus as evil. I wonder if there's some of us today who in a similar way, although not the same, but in a similar way are looking at You've got your idea and your view of who God is. And then you're looking at the world of COVID-2020 COVID and you're struggling to go, well, God, I thought you were like this. And yet this is what's going on in the world. And you're struggling to reconcile what you can see God is doing. And that's your read of that versus who God is. I think many people are feeling like this. My encouragement to you would be this. There's tons of times in my life I've struggled to reconcile what I thought God was doing with who I know him to be. The best way to press in in that is to keep pushing into Jesus. If you keep pushing into Jesus, Jesus will always show you who God is. And if you keep looking to him in this time, he will come and he will reveal to you who God really is in this time. And that brings great comfort to our hearts. And so Jesus continues and he says to us in verse 28, Truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of man and whatever blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. For they were saying, he has an unclean spirit. Right, this is the spicy meatball of this text we're looking at today. What Jesus is saying is pretty serious. To deliberately reject Jesus is to reject the way of salvation and to be lost forever. From another angle, we could come at it and say the unforgivable sin is the sin of looking at all that Jesus is and looking at all that Jesus does and rejecting that as evil. And interestingly, in this text, it's not the tax collectors, it's not the sinners that are most in danger of this sin. Rather, it's the learned 
the learned crew, the religious elite, the moral, the educated that are most in danger of this. And it's simply because it's their pride and their self-righteousness that most, it's pride and self-righteousness that most set us at odds with the gospel. It's those two things that, 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 are, that make it most difficult to receive Jesus and, and, and who he is and what he's doing. Mark includes this to us today as a warning, but not as a condemnation and not as a cause for anxiety. It's in the very same verses that Jesus says as well, that all sins will be forgiven the children of man. The heart of Jesus is to bring forgiveness to all of us. What we need to do is we need to respond by receiving that forgiveness from Christ. If you are worried that you've committed this sin, I'd say to you, that's probably proof enough that you haven't. And there is potential for you to come to Jesus and receive forgiveness. One last word I'd love to say here, just quoting Michael Eaton, that no Christian has ever been guilty of this sin. It's simply incompatible with who you are as a Christ follower. Okay, so we've seen the crowds, we've seen the cronies, and we've seen the scribes. All of these guys opting out of Jesus's community. Let's pull these three little um, snippets all together here. What do these groups all have in common? What they've got in common is they're all trying to bind Jesus. They're all trying to bind Jesus. They're all trying to make Jesus fit their worldview, their view of God. And what Mark is saying to us today that Jesus will not be bound. Jesus is God stepping into humanity and he's doing a new thing in our world. What's he doing that's new in our world? He is birthing a new community with a new culture. And you and I get invited to participate in that today. To become part of a church that is a deep, true community. A, a community built on lasting, fundamental relationships where people genuinely matter. A place where all can belong. Where all can be celebrated. Where there is, there is scope to give and receive genuine care. The kind of care that that most makes us human beings, that most comforts us as human beings. The kind of community where whether you're married or you're single, you're celebrated equally, you belong equally, and you find meaning in that community. The kind of, the kind of people in this family who draw bigger circles around their lives, bigger circles of care and responsibility than just a circle of care around ourselves or just a circle of care around our nuclear family, but the kind of people, the kind of family where we draw bigger circles, where we draw others into our circle of care and where we take responsibility for making their lives better and encouraging them in their journey towards Jesus. I wanna tell you of one such way I've experienced that family now during COVID-19 and the season of Corona. You see, I had the privilege, like I'm sure many have, of having a birthday on lockdown. It was a few weeks ago and uh, it was a Tuesday. It was a very ordinary day, um, except I woke up and my family spoiled me. My kids and my wife really looked after me. And then it was kind of business as usual. And it was five o'clock and I clocked off and then it was life group that night. And so I was frantically reading the chapters I had to read for life group. You see, we're reading a book together and we're learning how to follow Jesus. So that meant reading that chapter and I finished that at about half past five or so. We scrambled to supper and then I arrived at life group on Zoom screen, right? And uh, it's a new life group. We only began in I think about January or February this year. So none of them knew it was my birthday or so I thought. And I arrived 
on that Zoom screen, and mine was the only screen that the video wasn't blanked out. Uh, mine was the only one you could see my face. And uh, I could hear everyone else speaking, although their screens were blanked out. And then someone must have spoken a code word, and all of their Zoom screens suddenly shifted. And this is what I saw. This is me in the middle here, and uh, this is our life group. And there they were with candles and muffins and cakes or bread sandwiches, whatever they had, candles and sparklers dressed up uh, in a wild dress up way to celebrate me. And you know what we did for that life group? I didn't need to do my reading. They didn't tell me that. I wish they had. But uh, they did a quiz that night with me because they know that I love to do quizzes. And uh, the last 15 questions of that quiz was questions about me. You see, someone who was hosting that life group that night, uh, asked my wife a series of questions about me and that group celebrated me that night. I, um, I'm not a person who uh, does well in those uh, situations being made a fuss of. I must be honest with you, I was cringing the whole way through those questions, but I must also be honest with you, I felt so loved, I felt so cared for, I felt so known by those members of my church family. And here's the thing, you see, you see, they're experiencing COVID-19 just like you and me. They're on lockdown. I mean, we're talking about single moms here who are trying to hold down jobs and school kids and look after kids. There's, there's people who are running businesses who are trying to work out how to pay their staff and how they can stretch income further to cover as many people through this crisis. They got loads going on in life and yet they hit pause and they stopped that night to take a second to celebrate me. And I belonged in that family. I'm so convinced that the local church is the best family and place to experience community in all the world. But why is this so difficult for us? Why is this new community with a new culture so difficult for us as human beings? Well, I think it, it's difficult because it cuts against the gods of our age. It cuts against the gods of freedom, individualism, the God of self really. And there's an incredible cost to this kind of community. It, it, it's called commitment. Commitment. You, every time I say the word commitment, it's like I let a little bit of air out of your tires, right? Commitment. We, 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 we feel this. We loathe this word. We don't want to be tied down. I'll stop. I promise you. But, but you can't have this kind of community and you can't build this kind of culture if we don't have commitment. Sorry, I said I'd stop saying that word. You, you, mean, you mean I can't just tap in and out when I, when I want to? You, you mean, what if it's cold in the morning or in the evening? What if something better comes up that day? Or what if I don't feel like it? I can't just opt in and out. No, you can't. The, the truth is, the truth is you, you can't have both. You can't have a six pack and love pies. I, I know all too well. One of them will win, right? This kind of community, true community only exists with deep commitment and deep commitment means denying ourselves in order to love others. And it's exactly that kind of place where Christ-likeness is formed and we become more like Jesus. David Brooks says this so well, as he says this, he says, the lie is that I can make myself happy. That if I just win one race, one more victory, lose 15 pounds, do a little more, I'll get happy. And that's the lie of self-sufficiency. But as anyone on their deathbed will tell you, the things that make people, I'd add, truly happy are the deep relationships of life. 
It's the losing of self-sufficiency that bring us to the place of discovering meaning and purpose. You see, to those who are willing to pay the price, it is so worth it. You will experience meaning and purpose beyond anything else that you can experience on the planet. You'll be swept up into a move of God that, that, that way extends into the past of history, way longer than your life ever has, and will outlive all of us as we're swept up into this move of what God is doing. It's exactly what we're gonna see something of next week as Louise preaches and she speaks about the seed and how that grows, this, this community and this culture and how that grows to take shape in the world. The last question we land on here is, but how do we do this? And I'd say to you, the best way to do this is life groups. Little families learning to live in Jesus's ways. If you're a Christ follower, you need to find a way to get into a little family who is learning to live in Jesus's ways. It's, it's not just a private followership of Jesus that produces and shapes Jesus into your heart, but it's in a community learning to do it together that we find we are becoming like Christ. That's what Jesus is inviting us into. Maybe you'd say, yeah, Luke, you know, I've tried that. I came to church a few times and the last thing I experienced was family. And I'm, admittedly, we, we haven't got it all together and we're learning how to do this in new and fresh ways. But can I say to you, what about going first? What about, what about joining a community and just going first? Someone's gotta go first. And what you'll discover, I'm sure, that as you decide I'm going first, you will discover the momentum of God is with you, with you in your life and with you in that group as, as, you, as, as God Himself goes to work building this kind of family which brings this kind of fruit in people's lives. Simple big idea today. Jesus, what is He doing in the world? He is birthing a new community with a new culture. Would you come? Would you, would you come and be a part of that kind of church? Let's give our lives together to building this kind of community in our city, in this moment, and discover all the whilst we're doing that, that Jesus is at work transforming who we are, making us more like him in the process. I'd love it if we could land by sharing communion together. Okay, this is messy, but that's okay. This is a loaf. This is a loaf that symbolizes the bread, uh, the bread which is Christ's body. And uh, what you'll notice about this loaf is it's whole. Christ was whole. Christ was whole before he stepped out of heaven and stepped into earth. And when he stood on that cross, when he was hanging on that cross and he died, his body was physically broken. And Christ's body was broken and his blood was shed and poured out for us. Why? Well, for many things, but among them, one of them is that we were a scattered people. We were separated from one another. And it's through this reconciliatory act of Christ's body being broken that we who were separated 
would be brought back not only in reconciliation to Christ, but that we would once again become a community, a family, the kind of family that Jesus initiated in Adam and Eve. And then we see unravel through Genesis 12 and Abraham and then through the people of Israel and culminating in the church as we anticipate the future day where we as the community of God will be reunited before the person of Jesus in Revelation 21 and 22. But it's this act of Jesus's body being broken that is the bringing together of you and I into this kind of family. And what you'll notice about this as today is the day of Pentecost, what I wanna draw our attention to, that as we become the community of God, it's this, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God who comes and dwells in our community that empowers us to live this kind of way in our moment, that empowers our family, that empowers our culture too. And so as we take communion together, as you take the bread, Christ's body that was broken for you, can I lead us in prayer? Jesus, your body was broken for us. You who are whole, we who are scattered. You brought us near. You reconciled us to the Father. You reconciled us to one another. Jesus, would you bring that truth to bear on our hearts right now as we eat of this bread? Come Holy Spirit and remind us, although we're scattered in our homes, in our rooms, on our screens, you have put us together and unified us by your Holy Spirit. Come now and unify us in this moment. Jesus, as we remember your blood that was shed for the forgiveness of all sins, we have absolute peace knowing that we, in you we have complete forgiveness. And therein is the kind of vessel in which you are pleased and love to dwell. And so Christ, would you as we remember Pentecost, Holy Spirit, come and live within us. Would you empower us as we, we, we freshly take you in at this table. Holy Spirit, come and fill us, each of us, and empower us to be committed. Empower us to really tether ourselves to a community and to learn to live in a totally different cultural way, Jesus. We need your spirit. Come and fill us now to do what we can do in your strength. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen.